remember the story about the K H I D R. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now we're going to have another one here. It looks like the Muslim people love the K H I D R very much. There are many stories about him. But yesterday we talked about uh, why we have to hide. Remember, huh? Oh, okay. Yes. So maybe the KH idea, he's a real dervish, so he wants to hide all the time. So we don't see him often. He's just a spirit, you know, like an invisible helper, yeah? But I don't know why he's green color. He's <laughs> green. Go green, huh? <laughs> Go green ever seen already. Huh? I remember Master Milaipa eating so much. Green, oh, green probably, oh. But this guy is not physical. Mm. He probably wants to remind you to go green. Yeah. <laughs> Be veg, go green, yeah. Good idea, good idea. So, the Muslim people has been going green, eh? huh? <laughs> Before we even talk about it. It's always fashionable, eh? <laughs> Actually, I should wear green all the time, no? But well, at least I have some word here, you know, be vest, go green, yeah? Save the? <laughs> okay, good. We are still saving it. We're trying. We try our best. Okay. We talk about the Sufis- Sufism, remember? Yeah. Yes, and the Sufism is one of probably the revived Muslim at that time. We already talked about why... In many different religions, they have different denominations, remember? Yes. Yes. So Sufism is also one of the denominations for Islam. Perhaps later on they have to change the name, the title. In the Sufism tradition, there was a master called Ibrahim ben Adam. He was a master of Sufism at that time. Maybe enlightened, it looked like. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called him a master. And he sat in the forest. There was a clearing in the forest, and he was sitting there, contemplating on God, on Allah, yes. And then he saw two dervishes coming toward him where he was sitting. He welcomed them, and they talked of spiritual uh, matters until evening came. When the night fell, Ibrahim invited the travelers to be his guests, you know, at dinner. Immediately, of course, they accepted. What do you think? <laughs> Would you accept it? <laughs> huh? Yeah. Is there anything else to eat there? Berries. <laughs> Berries. <laughs> okay. A table was laid. With the finest food appear before their eyes. Wow. Isn't that nice? Let's see where from. So, one of the travelers asked Ibrahim, How long have you been a dervish? Because this kind of miracle, you know, yeah, must have been a long time practitioner. That's what they think. So, Ibrahim said, Two years. So one of the men said, Oh, how come? I have been following the Sufi path for nearly three decades, and I have no such capability that you have shown us today, like you have manifested a banquet like this to us. 
He say he been practicing for 30 years and he has not the capacity like this. Ibrahim kept quiet. So when the food was almost finished, a stranger in a green robe <laughs> entered, you know, the glade. He sat down and shared some of the leftover food with them. All of them present realize inside that this is the K-H-I-D-R. <laughs> they all realized at that time that this green man probably glowing a little bit. Oh, just go in this forest and wear green like that. That must be the K-H-I-D-R. What else? So they realized that. So they waited for him to uh, impart some wisdom of the truth to them. But when uh, he was living... The K-H-I-D-R said to them, You two dervishes, dervishes and Sufis are the same, okay? The people who follow Sufism, they are dervishes. Yeah, either they say that or Sufis master or Sufis follower, same, okay? You two dervishes wonder about Ibrahim. But what have you renounced in order to follow the dervish path? Remember they asked Ibrahim how long? Have you been a dervish, mm-hmm. practicing? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so he said two years. So now the green man, I'll make it short, okay. <laughs> K-R, yeah? <laughs> the first and the last. The K-R said to them, you've been wondering about Ibrahim, but you must know there is a big difference between you and Ibrahim. What difference? The two of you only give up the expectation of security and a very ordinary life. Now, Ibrahim ben Adam, otherwise, was a mighty king, and he threw away the sovereignty of the Sultan of Bok to become a Sufi. See, he renounced a lot, and the other two renounced almost nothing. This is why he is far ahead of you. During your 30 years, too, you have gained satisfactions through renunciation itself. This has been your payment, but he has always abstained from claiming any payment for his sacrifice. The man in green. After saying that, he disappeared. Wow. So, there's no hope for any of us here, you know, (laughs) because we were neither king nor queen nor any royalty. You see, there is a difference. There were two, there were same actions, but the outcome is different. Why is that? The motive is different, yeah? Expectation different. Why does he say that you too gave up only the expectation of security and an ordinary life? What did he mean by that? Job, family, uh-huh. friends, relatives. If they even had a job. <laughs> if he even have a family, yeah? If they even have any friends or relatives. Some don't have any, yeah? Or some relatives don't want a friend run away, yeah? <laughs> And the employer always kicked them out. <laughs> okay. Now, suppose they even have job, yeah? Family, friends. 
Then the KR, the spirit of Sufism, meant that they only give up very little. It's not much anyway. He said you just give up the expectation of security. That means that you may expect that you have security through job, through friends, help or family support, but you expect only. That doesn't mean you guarantee you will have it. Because you see some people have a job, but suddenly they don't have job. And they have how suddenly they become homeless. It depends on how luck turns on you. Huh? Sometimes you lost your job, then you lost your house, and then your wife also gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, well, where do she stay with you? Huh? Mostly it's like that. <laughs> and friends are also say, you're not an eh? Normally. <laughs> huh? Remember the joke I told you about the bank director? Yeah. The man went home and was very sad. And his wife asked him why. He said, I lost half of my friends since I lost my job as a bank director. And she asked, what about the other half of your friends? They don't know I lost my job yet. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what it is. So when he say you just gave up the expectations of security and an ordinary life, he meant even as you say that you renounce something, but it's not much that you have renounced. So... When we are in the world, we expect, you know, that, okay, we get a job, yeah, and then we have a good wife and have a good family. We expect everybody grow up, you know, dreaming that you're going to have that. It's normal. Expect, but nevertheless, <laughs> not always get, right? Not always get. Therefore, many people don't have job or family broken. Everything happened, yeah? So what he meant is, you just give up a very uncertainty, hope <laughs> of a secure, comfortable, and good life only. You just give up that hope only. Yeah, you renounce the world. But the world might have renounced you. <laughs> if not now, maybe later. Yeah? Or already did. Yes. So it's not much that you say you renounce. And nevertheless, for such a little thing that you gave up, you are proud of yourself, feeling you are monks, this monks, that. The dervishes means the monk of the order of the Sufis, the official monk, yeah? So they were proud that they have renowned everything, and they think that is like a reward to them already. They are very satisfied that they are the monks, you know, in appearance. Like, okay, they are something, yeah? They dare to renounce the world. They did not attach to the family that they don't have. <laughs> they didn't care about the money that they did not earn. <laughs> they didn't cling to the house that they mortgaged, <laughs> that the bank took away already. <laughs> Well, for example, you know, even if we have job, we have family, there's no guarantee at all in this world. So if we renounce just a little bit like that, it's not much in any way. Even then, it's difficult, I'm telling you. The KR <laughs> say that the reason Ibrahim has such a merit, you know, and couldn't even acquire some magical power is because he renounced a lot. He truly renounced in the whole sense of the word, that renouncing, yeah. 
because you know to be a king is powerful, no? And you have servants, yeah. You have many wives. I mean, the old time, all the kings have many wives, you know. So for that reason, Ibrahim, the master, has more merit than these two. Is it fair that we judge somebody by the amount of possession that he throw away? Is it fair? No. No, is it? No, huh? No. Probably the K-H-I-D-R were looking through their heart, you see? That's why he said also that for 30 years as well, you have gained satisfactions through the renunciation itself. They took the mean for the end, you see? They think they renounced the world and that is already great. So they took too much pride in it. And that's why it's nothing. It's just ego, pure ego. Because in any country or in any um, period of human race, if you are monks or nuns, people respect you in any way, yeah? They bow to you, they give you whatever they have, you know, always hospital to you whenever you pass by their house. Or not all, but at least the one that belong to your denomination. Yes. So people give them so much privilege. So the monks and the nuns would be very difficult to keep their ego in check. This is the most difficult to renounce, the ego. Therefore, these two guys, although they renounce everything that they have, if they had any at all, they still cannot renounce the ego. Because everybody thinking, oh, they are monks. They are renunciates, they are dervish, you know, they are holy. Yeah, they must be holy because they could renounce everything that a man cling dear to, you know. Even if he doesn't have anything, he still can hope to have something. <laughs> even, <laughs> right? <laughs> and even if he didn't have any wife and children, he still can dream about it, you know. Maybe one day he has. He have. So, to... Completely give up all this hope and expectation, it is already something, no? How many people can do that? Therefore, they are revered and admired, worshipped by householders who are still thinking that they're clinging to their possession and families and affection and, uh, and so on and so forth. Therefore, everywhere they go, you know, they get the royal treatment. So how can they ever be able to cut the ego. This is very difficult for them. Hmm? I'm telling you all this to say to you also that heaven is also not fair. <laughs> the Lord of Karma is not fair. You see? Ibrahim, the master, had this kind of magical power. It's no big deal, is it? He attained maybe astral level or a little bit above yet, so he can have this magical power. But it's already something, of course. Yeah? He needs it in the forest. He can't go shopping. No? He's in the forest. He has no car at that time. So it's good that maybe heaven reward him with this magical power so he can transform things into food. Yeah? Maybe he doesn't do that every day. Maybe he does it only when he has guests to treat them, you know? Good guests. So now, it's not fair, is it? Because the king, why could he be humble and satisfied now? as a renunciate, 
Even though he looked for God's attainment, yeah, to be one with God, fine. But for him, even though he renounced everything that is hard to renounce, of course, being a king and all, but still, you know, it's easier for him now because he knows everything already. He had everything already. And he knows that he could even come back if he wants to. So it's easier for him to be satisfied with less. And he has been used to with respect, yes, and revered by the whole country. So for him, probably he had enough. Yeah, he doesn't lack anything anymore inside, you know. He doesn't have the inferiority complex. He doesn't need any reverence from other people. Besides, he left the city. He went into the forest. Nobody there to test him. Yeah, nobody there to grill his uh, humility or his ego or nothing. So it's easier for him to renounce that way, no? Mm. So I don't think it's actually 100% fair to judge the two monks by not being too humble and to praise King Ibrahim for being, uh, you know, too modest. But maybe it's just the inside, you see? Yeah. It's not that easy either. It's not that easy either. Remember the story um, I told you long ago of a prince, yeah? He thinks he renounced everything. He wants to come and learn with the famous master, enlightened master. And the master thinks that he's not ready. So he did not impart to him anything yet. He makes him work and wait. So the wife of that master feels sorry for the prince and say, why don't you give him something, you know, initiate him. Give him some instruction. You just let him work and wait like that. He's a prince, you know, and he renounced everything to come here. He didn't even bring servant or anything, so he's, he's already very ripe. He's good, he's humble. The master say, mm-mm, you wait and see. Tomorrow, <laughs> you throw garbage on him when he pass by, see what he say, and then come back, tell me. <laughs> the prince came uh, in the morning passing by, you know, in front of his house, and she throw garbage, you know, from the second floor, she throw it on his head. And he got mad. You, oh, whoever did this, must know I am the prince so-and-so. If I was still in the <laughs> palace, you see what happened to you. Oh, lucky to you that I, you know, tried to <laughs> be humble here, <laughs> etc., etc. Okay, so... The wife uh, told the husband, yeah, master husband, and he say, I told you, I told you, he's not ready. Okay, long, long time afterward, you know, the prince was just trying to calm his mind and do some work for the master and serving in all humility, yeah, still outwardly, apparent, very humble. Do everything master say, yes, sir, yes, sir. And then the wife, you know, felt sorry for him again, you know, and he'd been working here a long time, and he does everything we ask without complaining. He eats what we eat. He slept, you know, the way we sleep on the floor, and he wears, you know, humble, you know, very tattered clothes the way we have. He doesn't ask for anything, so he must be ripe by now. He must be ready. He's a prince, you know. <laughs> Come here. And the wife like also prestigious disciple, of course, ne? Yeah, imagine if it's on the news, né? <laughs> CNN, huh? <laughs> Six o'clock. Oh, okay, love it, love it. So the wife keeps saying to the husband, <laughs> the master, oh, please give him something. She worried that he would be 
out of patience, yeah? Maybe she felt sorry for him, maybe because the wife is not necessarily be at a high level as the husband master, no? Even though they're together, but doesn't mean that the wife is the same level. So she judged differently than the master, yeah? She didn't know much of the human inward development. She kept urging him to give him initiation. What if he run away and then we lost the, the big disciple, no? <laughs> big fish, no? Yeah. <laughs> so the master said to her, no, he's not ready yet. The wife could not believe him, you know. After all this apparent humility, you know, and so diligent work for a prince, you know, his hand already colored and his feet, he walked barefoot. It is already look like a farmer now and he wears tattered clothes and eat coarse food and he doesn't look like a prince anymore and he still hang on, yeah? She felt that he's good, good and very, very sorry for him. But the husband, the master husband said, okay, never mind, okay, tonight. Uh, <laughs> you you fill your night pot with everything you can. <laughs> you know the night pot? Yeah. And then in the morning when he passed by, you throw it on him. <laughs> in the old days, they don't have toilet in the house, no? They, <laughs> they empty everything at night in the, in the night pot, no? They go in out at night, it's dark when there's, you know, they live in the... Uh, primitive area, maybe it's a tiger jungle or something. Yeah, and it's dangerous to go out at night, so they do it in the house, in the night pot. In the morning, they put it outside for the scavenger to take away. That is a normal thing before. Hmm? That's why the scavenger have the job to do. Hmm? Okay, now, in the morning, you throw it on him, and then you tell me how he reacts, <laughs> and then we will see, okay? In the morning, she did exactly what the husband told her, the master told her. And then the prince, oh, God, he jumped around and he smelled himself, and oh, he cursed heaven and hell, (laughs) you know? But of course, afterwards, he felt that he should not uh, do that. Of course, he knew a little bit, uh, but he didn't know who did it anyway. Okay, fine. So the husband told her, told you, huh, told you, he's not ready, he's not ready. So the wife didn't say anything anymore. Until long after, maybe then one day, he will impart initiation to that prince. Yeah, the story did not say anything anymore. <laughs> uh, probably say it, but okay, we understand, right? We don't need to know uh, exact end, okay? Yes. Similar to Milarupa, yes, because not only he's eager for initiation, but he knows too much magical power. He feels very powerful. So for him to wait for initiation and working hard like that and have nothing, he feel kind of degrading and uh, unfair treatment. That's why it is. So this prince is the same, huh? He feel like he renounced the whole kingdom, huh? Yeah, because he, he will become king later, you know? Even if he come back to the kingdom for a prince to go there barefooted and eat the coarse food and sleep on the floor, you know, the way... A poor people do and work like a poor person, you know, for the master so long. He felt like he has not been treated well. You see, that is the problem with the ego. When we do something, we feel like we're entitled for reward. And that's why he didn't get it. Milarepa also felt that way, so that's why he didn't get it for a long, long time. <laughs> Even if he cheated, he went and said to the chief disciple somewhere else to give him initiation, he got nothing. No experience, because he wasn't sincere enough. 
So it's probably in this book, it's not the judgment about the two people, the two group of people, action, the king and the two commoners, but it's probably more inside of them. You see, because these two, the KR, knew they're inside out, that they had been too satisfied with the great act of renunciation. So they did not progress in their spiritual practice. Okay, this magical power, it doesn't mean anything much. It's probably just a story to illustrate the attainment of the king in comparison to the attainment of the two devish, the two renunciates. Yeah, it's just the outward symbolism of the inner attainment. It's not like in Sufism they encourage or glorify magical power. Yeah, it's just symbolic, yes. So everything we do, we have to do with the utmost sincerity and egolessness. Otherwise we mess up more than we help. Even two actions look the same. It's not the same. The king also renounced the world. The two of them also renounced the world. This is not really talking about materialistic uh, possession here. They're talking more about the inside, you see, because it says that you are satisfied with your renunciation itself, proud of it, you see. Therefore, once you set your ego uh, at some certain point of your spiritual practice, then you stop right there. You will never go anywhere. But the problem is we don't recognize our ego. If we do recognize it, then we can cut it off. It's very difficult. (laughs) We don't even know we are proud. We don't even know we have ego. For other people, maybe as plain as the nose in front of your face, it's just for yourself, it's not that clear. At home, it's the same. (laughs) At home, it's the same. Ego is ego, no matter if you're a man or woman. It will work the same on you. Now you know, huh? Ego is the worst enemies of humankind. It makes so much trouble cause so many war, cause so much hatred, discord around the world. It's all the ego, does it? Nobody else. Okay? So if we can check our ego and keep it under control, then the world will be peaceful. Never mind sitting there and praying for world peace. Don't need to pray. Just check your ego and everything will be peaceful. Yeah? Peace begins in the house, you know? But many houses don't have peace. That's why world peace is difficult. The atmosphere has to be one of peace, you see? And it should start in here also. But that is not that easy, is it, huh? Mm. No, it's not, you see? Because it's one thing that he knows better, even better than the Master. Here, Benny, up here. Here. <laughs> you, can, you can see yourself. Okay, up, 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 up. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes to come with today. <laughs> Everybody love you, Benny. Look at that. <laughs> Stay here, okay? Yeah, help me do some work. All right, good boy. <laughs> okay, 
Bedtime story, huh? <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. There were four Devish monks. They met each other. You know, the Muslim Devish tradition. They met each other and they decided they are going all over every corners of the world to search for some magic, you know, some stuff, <laughs> some object, something, so that they can use it to help humankind. Yes. They think that uh, they have studied everything that they should have studied. And they think if they get this thing also together to combine with their knowledge, then they will be able to serve the people the best way. So they arrange that uh, everybody should go in different direction, and then they will meet each other, you know, maybe two decades later. Why, if they're still alive, these people are very, very optimistic, huh? (laughs) Well, after two decades plus, they met each other again at the appointed area where they have uh, probably parted before. And the first guy from the four have brought with him from very far away from the, the northern uh, area of the earth a magical staff. Oh, like this one, maybe. <laughs> yeah, this is a magical staff. Yeah, I, I, I want to show you, prove it to you. Look at that. Now I need to stop. And when I say, Om something, it comes, Om, look at that, see? <laughs> see that? Ah, very magical stuff. Huh? This one has a very big magical property. Namely, if it's too hot, it will make me cool. <laughs> when it's raining, it may keep me dry. Can you imagine anything any more magic than that? Huh? <laughs> any better magic? No. This is a very magical stuff that I have here, and I'm going to keep it. <laughs> I won't give it to you. Huh? But <laughs> I tell you where to get them. Huh? <laughs> In the shop, anywhere, 7-Eleven, or, you know, 7-Up. <laughs> okay? So now you know I have magical power, huh? All these years you have been suspected all along <laughs> that I truly have some magical power. Now finally you saw it with your own eyes. Okay, tell everybody. <laughs> Normally I hide my magical power, but uh, it's a new year, I'm generous. <laughs> I let you all see it, black and white, now you know. Right. Not only I have magical power, I could even tell you where to get them. Wow, luckily I have a staff there. I did not know I would need it. You see, outside it's dark, you know, and I I walk with Benny under my feet, so I need the staff in case (laughs) it's more stable. Three feet are better than one, right? (laughs) Remember the story I told you about the elephant? The joke, you know? The kindergarten kid come home very excited and happy. Said, "Mom, I won the first prize in the school today for correct answer." <laughs> so, <laughs> mother says, oh, well, "What was it? The question?" He said, "The teacher asked, how many feet does the elephant have?'" I say, three. 
So the mother said, three? Then how could you ever get the, the prize? <laughs> yeah, the kid said, but I came with the most correct answer. <laughs> the other one, maybe two or seven or <laughs> eight or ten, yeah? So he's the most correct one. So the first one brought with him uh, the magical stuff, you know, similar to the one that I have just, just demonstrated to you. Maybe a little better, huh? maybe cheaper. <laughs> yeah, cheaper in price, but have more magical power than mine. The stuff is very special. Anyone who rode upon it could reach his destination immediately. Wow. Wow, that's a very good instrument. I wish I had one. I can exchange this one for that one. <laughs> Willingly, yeah? And give him some also blessed candies, you know, to make up the differences. Yes. So now, the second monk, you know, this devish tradition in uh, Muslim, they have rank, you know? Like in Buddhist, they have like... Uh, the most venerable and then the reverend, yeah? Uh, and in, in Christian they also have, huh? Uh, number one is a pope, eh? We all know, huh? And then cardinal, yes? And then archbishop, and then bishop, huh? So the second one brought with him the magical hood. Whoever put it over his head could immediately change his appearance to resemble anyone. <laughs> In existence. Wow. So this hut is a very special hut. If you put it on your head, yeah, and then <laughs> you look exactly like whoever next to you. Mm. So that's a very good uh, disguise, huh? Mm. The first one brought a magical staff. The second one brought a magical hood. The third one, he brought with him from the very extensive travel in the East, a magic mirror. <laughs> Something I have here. Something like this, a mirror. You see? It doesn't look like anything. Does it look like a mirror to you? No. Look. See, magic mirror. Wow. Who's the prettiest in the land? <laughs> Who? Me. <laughs> Look familiar. <laughs> Must be that one. <laughs> okay. So he brought a magic mirror. Yeah. This mirror is very special. Whoever look into it, you can see everywhere in the world. We always heard about this a crystal of the white witch, nah? of the magician. So maybe it's like a crystal. Huh? If you look into that mirror... You can see any part of the world at will. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm looking into it now. My magic mirror. I can see any part of the world. Wow, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> mm, you see? Everybody from all part of the world come here. <laughs> so I can see them all. <laughs> oh, wow, wonderful. Look at that. Huh? China, Vietnam, Korea, Cambodia... USA, Thailand, Singapore, South Africa, Japan, Hong Kong, Taiwan, <laughs> France, yeah? Malaysia even, oh, look at that, huh? 
Ah, west, east, north, south. Huh? <laughs> south Korea, no? <laughs> okay, north of Taiwan, no? Okay. <laughs> this is a magic mirror. I can see every part of the world. Now I'm looking at USA. Look at that. See, I can see USA. <laughs> South Africa, for sure. Are you in South Africa? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, see that? <laughs> Are you in from Thailand? See Thailand. <laughs> Taiwan? Taiwan? See, I can see Taiwan from my magic mirror. Wow. This is truly a magic mirror. I'm telling you, you can buy them. <laughs> Cheap. <laughs> a few dollars. I have everything. Look, I have a staff. I have a magic mirror. And I have an invisible hood that whoever nearby, I look like that person. <laughs> the Ford Davis. He brought with him from the very far end of the southern sphere of the earth a magical cup. Hmm? <laughs> yeah, look at that. I even have this magical cup. Wow, wow. This one is more magical. Let's see what the cup does. Oh, any disease could be healed by this magical cup. Maybe not this one, the one in the book. Okay, let's see if this one can heal any disease. Maybe some of the disease. You know, like thirsty disease, yeah. <laughs> dehydration disease, <laughs> sleepy disease. <laughs> if you put tea in it. And you won't feel sleepy and tired anymore. Huh? Oh, wow, that's wonderful. And if you put any medicine in it, if you're coughing, you put cough medicine in it and you drink it, then you have no more cough, right? This is also a kind of magic cup. <laughs> it keeps the hot thing hot and the cold thing <laughs> cold. Now, wow, I also have magical cup. Let's see what they all do with all these things. Check it out. If I'm healed of any... Disease first, okay? Mm, cheers. Huh. Some kind of liquid. Mm. <laughs> A little sweet. And it's warm. I don't know since when it's been here, but it's been kept warm, so it's a magic cup. How long has it been here? Must be maybe many hours already, right? See? So I have also a magical cup. Mm. If you keep here a few hours... It's still warm, okay? So it's magical. Normal cup, it won't keep warm that long, right? Huh? So this is a magical cup for sure. You keep it because it's magical. You know, this kind, they're lining something inside? The shining stuff? They're lining with glass, yeah? So it preserves the heat, yeah? Reflecting the heat with each other all the time. So it keep warm. You keep cold thing cold and keep warm things warm. So you put ice cream and coffee together in there. <laughs> It'll be okay. <laughs> I keep cold things cold and warm things warm. All right, so now the four uh, devish, they are now very, you know, confident with all these magical equipment. So first of all, they look into the mirror to see where the source of water, of life. Mm? So they can go and find it first, so that they can live long enough to use other 
magical instruments, yes. The source of water of life, you know where to find? Anyone know? Yes. Yeah, where? Um, with you, Master. Ah, here, in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I have it, you have it. Yeah? We all have it. We can find it more or we can find it less. It depends how much obstruction that we encounter from the mind. Too much obstruction from the mind make us slow and delay our progress. Yeah, sit there and thinking, oh, how am I going to find money tomorrow? More money than today, yes. <laughs> and how am I going to make my girlfriend loves me more than yesterday? Yeah, etc., etc. These are okay. These are fun things to think about. But there are also other things that is not too much fun, like it, it makes us too much trouble, hmm? sorrow, pain, suffering, separation, worry, yeah, everything that in this world really try to pull us down and make us so exhausted. Thinking of the solution that sometimes we cannot even concentrate to find the source of water of life. But finding we must. Otherwise, not only we cannot solve the problem, we will be suffering more. So meditation is not like for God or for Master <laughs> or even for the world yet. First, for yourself. Because without it, without water, we die of thirst. Without the water of life, we suffer. Yes, we die inside. We die so much that we keep dying and dying and dying. And it's a very horrible situation uh, if we don't have the source of water of life. If we don't find our wisdom quick enough, then we suffer a lot. Nespa? Yes? Yes. Hmm. Now, they have found the fountain of life. They flew it on the magical staff together. See, they arrived instantly with the magical staff. And they drank the water. And then they recite in some uh, magic mantra uh, to see who needs their service the most at the time, who is the most in uh, trouble, who is the most in need of their help. So in the mirror they look. They saw a man who was dying. He lived very far away from where they are. But yeah, no problem, they have magic staff, right? It's just mounted on the magical staff, and then in an instant, just an instant, they immediately arrive at the house of the needy man. The man opened the door, but it's not the sick man. Yeah? And the four Muslim devils say to his doorkeeper, We are magical, famous healers. Your master of the house is sick, we understand. So we want to come in and cure him. Of course, the master of the house heard that. So he invited them in. Oh! But as soon as 
this man saw the four devils. His sickness became worse, like he has been hit by a stroke or a seizure. Ooh. So, immediately, he ordered his servant to throw them out. Who wouldn't? Huh? Would you? Somebody come and say, oh, he come to heal you, and when you saw them, you become worse. <laughs> Your illness become aggravated. Wouldn't you throw them out? Yes. While they're being kicked out, the servant explained to the four monks that, you know, this, the patient, the master of the house, he doesn't like Muslim. Yeah, he hates the dervishes. So now they came out, they put the hood on their head. Yeah. So they changed themselves into some different appearance, four completely different healers, so that the patient would feel more at ease and safe and accept their presence. Yeah, so of course, when they come in in different appearances, and four different persons altogether have nothing to do with the previous four Muslims that had been kicked out. And the man accepted them, trusted them, because they appear in some form that the patient would trust. You know, maybe the same religious order, yes, maybe same uh, social status, yes, same clothing, or perhaps same hairdo. Or even same high heels, who knows? <laughs> or same umbrella. <laughs> All right, so the master of the house, namely the patient, accepted them, trusted them, because they looked like what he expected and looked like the one that he is familiar with or would trust. Yeah, looked like trustworthy people. So he took the medicine from them. And as soon as... He took some uh, something from this magical cup. He felt ever so better. Never felt so good in his life. Now, because this master of the house, you know, the patient, he's a very rich man. After he was healed, he rewarded them with a beautiful house, so that they can settle down. So they continue to stay in this house. Yes, and every day they go out to different places and healing people, helping people, whoever is in need uh, and whoever accepts them. And uh, so in this manner they are serving mankind in different places, in different ways. One day three of the dervishes went out, yes, and only the one with the magic cup stays at home. And then suddenly the soldiers came to their house and arrested him, the one with the cup. He was very afraid, yes, to know what happened, but it turns out that it was nothing to worry about because the king of that country had heard of their magical power, so he wants to take this man to the court in order to heal his daughter. Yes, his daughter is sick, that's all. Because she has a very strange illness that no other 
uh, doctors can heal her. Now, he offered her some normal medicine that she has already been taking, but he put it in the magical cup. It didn't work because he forgot to look into the magic mirror. Ah, maybe he didn't change himself to suit the taste of the princess. Maybe he looked too ugly. Yeah. And the princess feel worse. <laughs> maybe the princess was in love with some handsome guy. And this man looked like the worst of all the guys that she had made <laughs> make her sickness worse, hopeless. Oh, terrible. Because the medicine did not work, even though he put it in the magic cup. The king ordered him to be nailed on the wall. Wow, that terrible. If cannot cure, cannot cure, why nail people? Huh? What for? Just throw him out, that's it, right? Yeah. Well, it happened, you know, even sometimes the most famous doctor cannot always cure a person when that disease is incurable, right? It happens, yes. So I don't know why this king is so fanatic and bad. Anything at all, just kill people. Anything at all, nail people, yeah? Terrible. The devish monk, of course, uh, tried to explain to the king that uh, maybe he has lacked some time and some consultation and some uh, special ingredients. So please uh, let him have a little bit more time so that he can come back and cure the princess. But the king, you know, hot temper, very dictative. He doesn't believe it. And thinking that the devils try to buy time so that he can escape. Oh, dear. So, now, he is on the verge of being executed. Yes. And the other three monks came home, and they didn't see him anywhere, so immediately they looked into the magic mirror to see where their friend is. And they found him. They know that he's going to die soon. So immediately they rode on the magical staff, go there and rescue their friend. But the king's daughter cannot be cured. They cannot save her because it's too late, because they cannot find the magical cup anymore, even that. And then when they look into the mirror, they saw that the king has ordered the cup to be thrown into the ocean, a very deep ocean. Now, how can you find a cup in an ocean? So deep. I don't know if the magical staff can bring them, you know, through such a amount of water like that, you know? Maybe they go... <laughs> cannot find the cup. <laughs> Maybe go down, then stay there, who knows? <laughs> but let's see what's going on. The deepest ocean in the world is where the cup is. Yeah, that's where the king ordered to be thrown into. What kind of king is this? Huh? Must be the king of devil, huh? King of Maya. You know, these stories are always symbolic. The magic cup is what? Enlightenment, no? Yeah. And the deepest ocean is what? 
Hmm? All of our trouble, sorrow, obstruction, yes, that we can hardly get out, even though we know where it is, we couldn't find. Yes. So, even though they have a magic staff and a magic uh, hood and magic uh, mirror, it took them a thousand years to recover the cup. Ah, no wonder. Huh? Probably they have to pump all the ocean water out. <laughs> or at least not so deep, even with magical stuff. <laughs> huh? Go down in such a speed. Even then, if you go in the water, you go, right? <laughs> it's so deep like that, you know? It's not like you swim on the surface, even. If it's on the surface, you can swim. However long it takes you, you can float, you can swim, and you're okay. But if you have to dive into deep ocean like that, and the whole time they don't have any instrument like now, huh? I'm sure they gluck, gluck, gluck all the way down. <laughs> Not to talk about gluck, gluck, gluck all the way up as well. <laughs> you know, when somebody throws something in the ocean, it doesn't just stay like that. It may be easy for you to find, no? Probably... By the weight of it, it will sink into the depth of the mud or the sand, or maybe it's stuck in some cavern in the ocean, you know, between the corals and between the octopus uh, <laughs> tentacles or whatever, you know, or maybe the, the octopus was holding it. <laughs> yeah, and it's very difficult to get it from the octopus. <laughs> they, you know, they just sucked into the cup. No, you know that. Okay. Well, I just imagine all kind of thing could happen. In the deepest depth of the ocean, everything could happen, right? Yeah. So, see that? Huh? Mm. <sighs> Thousands of years. Mm. After they had the bad experience with the princess, they made it a practice to do things more secretly. Whatever they do, you know, they will make it look very logical, like a simple medical method or something like that. Logical, explicable way. Like if they use a cup, they would probably put some, you know, aspirin or something in it and say, you see, this medicine, yeah, (laughs) it's been known to cure so-and-so sickness, yeah, including headache. So if you take this, after a few hours, you will be better. Yeah. So everybody believes, oh, of course, the medicine is good, good, good. Yeah? Do you understand the story? Yes. Understood. Good boy, good girl. <laughs> now, you see, this is just a parable, you know? Like Jesus often told stories to make example, to make a symbol of the point that he wanted to drive home. The cup is like the enlightenment, yes, difficult to find. Although you know where it is, it's not like you don't know, and it's obvious, yeah, but it's difficult to find. Where there are obstructions, the social preconceived idea about what enlightenment should be, established orders, uh, maybe of religious belief, maybe of tradition, maybe of anything. Isn't that a pity? 
what is so obvious to us. We can see it with a magical mirror for many people. It's something so mysterious, so inaccessible, so impossible. There's nothing really. It's yours. <laughs> you have it. All you do is just get in touch with it, and then you have everything else. And then all your worry, your anxiety, yes, your trouble will disappear. Trouble, anxieties, worries, they are also diseases, yes? And sometimes because of worry, anxieties, it manifests into the physical body, it becomes a real, you know, physical disease. It begins first in the mind, yeah? Somewhere in our thought, in our pattern of thinking. They call it stress sometimes. I'm so stressed out, I'm so stressed out. I freak out, I freak out. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> who, who is it that freak out? It's not the body, it's the mind, isn't it? Yeah? You worry so much, or you're so distressed that you say, I freak out. But who is the I that freak out? Huh? Because if it is the body, then when the dead man laying there, he still has the same body. And he has the same body, but you can stay there and curse him for thousands of years, he would never move. He would never freak out. <laughs> he would never stress out. That's what it is. So it is the mind that stresses itself out or it freaks itself out. So whatever it is, it's all from the thinking first, right? Yes. It's very difficult to control that, even though we understand that. Ooh, I have nothing to do with my body. Okay, you can continue worry, I go eat, I go drink, I go meditate. Difficult, huh? Difficult to say, oh, I don't care about you, I just go meditate. I just go uh, pray, I just go listen to music, I just go dancing. Very difficult, isn't it? Yes, difficult. Okay, sometimes people think, okay, I go dancing and I forget the problem. They might forget for a few moments, few hours, and when they come back, the problem is still there, right? Again. The same. Nothing changed. story of a world champion. The guy is a number one, yeah, champion, world champion. Long, 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 long time ago, <laughs> there was a guy. <laughs> he has a lot of special talent, yes. Uh, he is very diligent in learning, yes. He's good with his hands, yeah, and he's diligent. Therefore, anything he can learn, and learn fast, and he does it good. When he is only at the tender age of 20 years old, he was already famous as the most talented artisan. So he became very, very arrogant, yes. And therefore he decided that he's going to learn more and more of this other skill so that nobody can compete with him. 
thus he become even greater and greater and more and more famous. Yes. So he uh, packed his uh, tent, yeah, <laughs> with his steel cup. <laughs> you know, the one that you use for Melly yeah, in the retreat. And then he went all over the place to try to learn different skill and different art, yes, of different trade. Not just in this country, but he went all over the world, every country, every nation, every little corner, every village. If he heard of someone who was skillful in some special craft, then he would go there and try to learn it. Because he's very diligent and he has, you know, motivation of to be a world champion in craftsmanship. So he learned very fast. He has the talent also to learn fast. You know, once you are used to with something, it's easier to learn other things sometimes. Like if you already know English, yeah? it's easier to learn maybe French or Spanish, yeah, or the similar European language. Okay. Not only he learned fast and mastered the art that he studied with anyone, but he even exceed them in a higher level, you know? Like whatever he learned from them, he became even better than the teacher. And not only he learned about the craft, you know, handcraft and all that. Before, we only have handcraft. We didn't have machine. Anyway, he he's famous for good handicraft person and in any art at all. Because handcraft, there are many things, yeah? Like lamp or you have woodcraft, yeah? Carving, sculpturing, yes. All kind of things he can do. He learned all and he exceeds them all. He's He's the best. Not only that, he even know feng shui, you know. <laughs> yes, he even know how to cook. Yes, he learned all the cooking, and maybe now and again he show off on the Supreme Master Television. You never know. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. His website. <laughs> he knows even singing. Yeah, plain musical instrument and all that. So he's excellent in all fields. He could even play Chinese chess. Mm-hmm. And he could also play cards, yeah, like black jack, whatever you call them, white jack and yellow jack. <laughs> all kind of jacks he can play. <laughs> so he really knew many, many things, yes. Now he feels more and more great about himself. So he decided that, okay, he's going to go all over the world to have competition, yes, to show off his talent, to see who can ever win him at all. He's sure nobody can because he has learned with the best masters of all arts, yeah, and he exceeds even the masters, so who can even defeat him? Wow, wonderful. So he make a journey now. He want to uh, have his name carved in the tablet of history. Yeah. So he doesn't want people to forget him. I am so-and-so, you know. I live 100,000 years ago. <laughs> he, 
What's the use of doing that? Tell me. Any of you want to leave your name on the tombstone of history? <laughs> no, huh? <laughs> when you're dead, you are dead. <laughs> when you're dead, you are dead, right? Yeah. Correct. Thank you. Possible that when you're dead, you're still alive, Sama? <laughs> so, who is there to look at your name? Even if your name is carved on the greatest tombstone in the whole world, and when you're dead, can you read it? No. Maybe you can. Who knows? You're not dead yet. You don't know. <laughs> Almost everyone likes to leave his or her name yeah, into the history, to the record. I don't know what for. Suppose we can eat it, then it's not too bad. <laughs> or suppose we can spend it in some way. Suppose we can keep it always in our body and our mind that we know it after we die. It would be not too bad. Maybe we could know it after we die. You know, there are ghost stories, you know? A love story, but ghost story also. <laughs> so maybe the ghost, the disease, after they die, they probably go back to their tombstone to have a look at their own name and, you know, how people revere them. Possible, eh? Possible that you will derive some pleasure after you die <laughs> if your name is on the wall somewhere. <laughs> if we cannot die, we don't know yet, huh? Well, we do know, right? But because when we die, we don't stay around on the planet, that's why. Every day you die, but you go somewhere else. Huh? You go up to the higher level. So you probably don't know the pleasure of the guy who leaves his name on a tombstone and uh, who hang around on the planet as a ghost. Okay. Would you prefer that? Or having no name and just go straight to heaven? Yeah, that's better. Second option, eh? Much better. That's right. <laughs> so, he wants to be world champion of everything. So now, one time he passed by a neighboring country and then he saw in the crowded street of a big city there was a man. Again, that's a man. <laughs> I was a guy. <laughs> I was a guy in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of the big city. You see? So when there is a man, even in such a crowd, such a big city, you notice him right away. He's a man. He was selling a bow and an arrows. Okay. This man is also a kind of repairer for this kind of thing, a bow and arrow, yes. And then he was standing there with everybody else, watching this uh, master of the craft, you know, like bending the wood and taking out the, the, um, the arrow and twisting the wire, you know, and things like that. It's very, very fast and very flowing, so skillfully, so masterly. And he was standing there and he looked. He felt too bad already nah, that he didn't know this thing. <laughs> so he was thinking to himself, if I'm going to compete with him in his craft, I'm sure he will win. Yes, because he's too good, too good. 
So he come and, you know, <laughs> pretend to be humble himself and learn the craft from the man. Mm. Three days only, he learned everything from the master. Not only that, as usual, he could make it faster, better, <laughs> more skillful. <laughs> ah, better than the guy. Yeah, this is special. So, so he say goodbye to the master of the bow and arrow, and then leave again. And then uh, one day he passed by a river, so he need a boat, you know. So he was sitting on a boat, and there was a boatman who was rowing the boat, and he looked at him with his big muscle, you know. <laughs> the boatman with big muscle, like this, you know, similar, <laughs> similar to this. See that? Uh, yeah. So he was thinking, oh, lucky I have not dared him to to compete with me in rowing boat, or else I will lose for sure. <laughs> so he was also begging humbly with this boatman to learn the art of rowing. <laughs> yeah, two days only, he succeeded in knowing how to row the boat. And even better than the teacher, of course. <laughs> he's a champion, you know, he's a guy. Huh? <laughs> He's a Z guy. <laughs> okay. And then one day, you know, he went past another country and he saw a beautiful palace, a royal palace with so much splendor and artistic uh, carving and all kind of fantastic detail that he has not seen anywhere else. So he was thinking, oh, this must be a extraordinary architect. So he, of course, kept asking uh, people about his address, his email, and all that. And then finally found the architect and also learned with this architect. And after not long, he also succeeded becoming a fantastic architect himself. Everyone, you know, with graduation, yeah. The professional architect. Now he said goodbye again and continue his way. Trying to, you know, make competition wherever he goes. He went around about 16 countries, won so many championships. Everybody who competed with him lost, yeah, for sure. So in in the later days, when anybody or the best of the artisans heard of his name, oh, they bow their head in awe already. Yes. They don't dare to <laughs> go out and compete with him ever again, all of them. So now everybody praise him as the best artisan, the one who make craft, all kind of thing. He is the best artisan in the whole world. Yeah, now everybody, you know, worship him, revere him, praise him. Everywhere he goes, everybody know who he is and what he is. So he's feeling very proud and happy. Ah, for a while, for a while. You know, let's face it, even if you're the most famous person in the world, how long will you enjoy your fame? Huh? 
How long will you satisfy yourself with this kind of grandeur, hey? You can't eat it all day, no? <laughs> Breakfast, lunch and dinner. Even the best food in the world, if you keep eating it every day, you also feel fed up, no? Right. So therefore, this guy is the same. After enjoying this glory for a while, he became a little bored. He felt a little lost, you know, lonely, because nobody could match him. Oh, that's a terrible feeling. You are alone in the world, like you're on top of the mountain, all by yourself. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> yeah, many, many of us would like that, no? You always complain to me, Oh, Master, I like to go in the Himalaya, sit in a cave somewhere and meditate. Yes, because I'm so bothered by family, you know, friends, job, <laughs> trouble, tax, you know, bills and all kind of things. I'm fed up. I like to be alone in the Himalaya. Yeah, not long either, you know? <laughs> yeah, you feel also bored alone there. Yeah? Mm? Maybe not. Truly, truly it's nice to be alone. Have you felt that way sometimes, when you have a chance to be alone? Yeah. Wonderful, huh? Yeah, talking about it. I know it well. Mm. The niceness of being alone, of solitude, the mental tranquility, you know, no bothering, no worry. That's the nicest thing you can have in the whole world. You could be alone and do what you want. Yeah, Not just meditation, but just be alone. And the mind's more calm, you know, all the people's ideas, questions, demands, not dancing in front of your nose anymore. And you just calm down and you just be yourself. You can see yourself clearer, yeah, better. Yes. And sometimes better idea comes out. But the thing is, better ideas come out, we better go and use it to serve the world. That's why we come out. Or else it's nicer to be alone, chewing over your ideas. So it was very lonely. And then the Buddha know about him. Now there come the Buddha in the his life now, the lonely and isolated and, you know, too much of the good things, like the Buddha wanted to help him, you know, this champion. So Buddha, of course, wear a monk's robe, hey? you know, like a bichu, huh? and then he has a arm bowl with him huh? for, for arm, for food, and he came and, and meet the guy. The man was very uh, kind of surprised, you know, like a little bit perplexed because wherever he went before, up to now, nobody was uh, Buddhist. Yeah, there was no Buddhist where he, where he has traveled. So he doesn't know what kind of clothes the Buddha was wearing. He felt, ah, oh, this is a very funny clothes. Mm. So... He asked, you know, the bichu, the monk, he called it bichu. I have gone, uh, visited many countries, but I have never seen anyone who wears such clothes like you do. What kind of profession <laughs> you have? 
your craft anything different from other craftsmen of other artisan <laughs> or not? <laughs> so the monk who was Buddha answered him, say, My profession is repairing the mind <laughs> and the body, <laughs> uh, like speech, body, and mind, something like that, you know? Okay. The guy has never heard of such a profession, you know? <laughs> so, of course, he asked, how you do that? With what kind of instrument? <laughs> like, okay, if you carve the wood, you have to use a carving knife. You do the sculpture, you have to use sculpting instrument. And what kind of instrument you're using to repair the body and mind? Yes. <laughs> this is a very strange profession. And he was very surprised and interested. So the Buddha, you know, of course at that time he doesn't say he's a Buddha. Huh? And the guy also wouldn't know what the Buddha means anyway. So the Buddha explained to him that uh, if a person who wants to repair and adjust his body and mind, whoever wants to do that, must have a very special talent. Yes. That you can have a victory over yourself first. Because hmm, if you have not had victory over your own self, then you are not a champion yet. You are not great yet. Yes. To be able to be a great person, you must be able to win over yourself, not somebody else. Oh, this guy has never heard of this before. He said, oh. <laughs> if, the Buddha continued, if a person has attained this state of, uh, of his mental victory yeah, over his own self, then he became a very bright, <coughs> illuminated person. And his illumination, you know, his uh, brightness around him could uh, pierce, you know, all the corner of heaven and earth. Yes, his uh, light, the light from him, will pierce heaven and earth. So this man, of course, doesn't know anything like this before. Yeah, how can you even have light that pierce every corner of heaven and earth? Wow, this must be a very special artisan. Okay, so <laughs> the all-star world champion was very interested and very happy. So he, of course, begged him to teach him all this uh, craft of how to repair <laughs> and adjust your body and mind. So, of course, Buddha taught him the sixth perfection in the Diamond Sutra. Something like, uh, uh, 不是, huh? Do charity, good deed, keep the precepts, diligent in your practice, patience, endurance, mm. meditation, yes, and then wisdom, etc., etc. There's a lot of things that he have here also, you know, tons of stuff that the Buddha taught him. The Buddha further told him that only the one who can have victory over himself could be truly 
liberated. Yes. Even if you are very, very good in any craft at all, this is only for earning a living. Even if you win over the whole world, you know, you're champion of the whole world, this is only temporary. Yeah, nobody remember afterward. And you can't do much about it. You still die like everybody else, and you will not know where you're going. So the Buddha keeps teaching all that. Hmm. He said that if you learn to uh, have victory over yourself, that is the best victory, the only victory you should have, then you will be able to liberate yourself from the circle of life and death forever. I agree. Oh. Don't you agree? Yes. Could be like that, huh? <laughs> Should be like that. Yeah. Hmm. So after just listening to the Buddha's advertisement, the champion, of course, loved very much and, you know, respectfully bowed to the Buddha and request him to teach him. After a while, he also became Arahan <laughs> so quick. <laughs> Luckily, he didn't surpass the Buddha <laughs> like usual. Become Arahan. That is a very enlightened person already. This is a, a story in a Buddhist scripture. Probably it's a true story. Yes. I don't know who told the story. Maybe the Buddha told his disciple and the disciple recorded. So the champion of the world became the champion of himself. Once you become arahant, that means you have cut asunder all the ego, all the obstruction that binds you to this physical and temporary world. Even if it's temporary, but if you don't cut asunder this bondage, then it's going to bind you forever, not just this lifetime, but later on. So the guy truly became a champion, put it that way. And that was long, 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 long time ago, okay? I hope you became one like that, all of you, hmm? champion of ourselves, master of yourself, the supreme master. That is the supreme master, you know? Okay. Hmm. So it's no big deal to become a champion of any kind, eh? even boxing champion or karate champion, anything champion. If we don't win over ourselves, then it's no use. We will die a weak body like everybody else. And it's just good for the worm. <laughs> At least good for something after we die. Okay. Now, this is a very... Good story. You know why? Not because he has win over himself, but because I'm surprised that such a guy, so talented, champion of everything, and still can have enough humility to learn with the Buddha and became an arahant. That surprises me, and that impressed me a lot. Because most of the people in the world, if they are somebody, it's difficult to become nobody. <laughs> because in the spiritual practice, we truly have to become nobody in order to become somebody, right? The ego has to be gone so that we can do great thing. Because ego is the worst thing that obstructs us all the time. If we think we are something, we are somebody, we are so great, we know everything, then it's very difficult for true knowledge to emerge 
not like to get it from anywhere, but to emerge from ourselves. The ego is there, keep thumping our true self down, and we just think, oh, I am a good artisan. <laughs> I'm a good uh, juror, yeah, I'm a good uh, shooter, I'm a good lawyer, I'm a good doctor, I am so and so and so. But in fact, we are not only that. This is just the thing we learn from the world. Everybody can, yeah? Everybody can. If we're diligent and with a little sharp uh, attention, we can learn to master any art in the world that can be learned, you see? But we are not, not even the need. We don't even need to learn. We are not the mind, we are not the brain that's learning. After we die, even if we lay there, full brain, full body, and we don't function. So the guy who keep the body function, that is the real guy. That is the true self, and that knows everything without learning, without needing of any craftsmanship, any study, or any practice. I'm really surprised that such a man like this, you know, who knows so many things, who travel the world and master all kind of art and still is humble enough to bow in front of a Buddha and accept him as a teacher so that he can repair, <laughs> adjust his body and mind. That is difficult, eh? Very difficult already. But because he can do that, that's why he can learn fast and become arahan very fast. I guess after he climbed up to the mountain of fame and glory, he realized in his heart that these are nothing, nothing at all. But a lot of people in this world die for that, for this nothing. <laughs> yeah? A lot of war has been fought over this nothing. <laughs> a lot of life has been lost over this nothing, fame, glory, empty stuff. Yeah, I'm not talking about like somebody is already in the position of fame and power, but truly using the position to serve others. He has to continue because he wants to help others, either to help them in time of need or help them to know themselves or help them to stand on their own feet. You see, they're already in that position, they're doing it. But these people, they truly want to serve. They don't have the heart to want to gain something, even if they had the position, great position or not great position. It's not their motive to gain some attention. In fact, these people mostly, they don't really like attention too much. They shun the publicity. It's just that they have to endure it for the sake of doing their job. Like, for example, maybe you are president of the country, huh? Yes. It's not like you really wanted to be a president. But since you are young, you're already groomed in a political party, yes. And because you're good, everybody trusted you, voted, yes, you to be a presidential candidate, for example, like that. Okay, then... You have known nothing else, and you just have to continue with your job. But not necessarily that you want that job. You do it because people trust you, because people want you to do it. 
to serve the country or to serve other people, to serve the world in whatever capacity. So it doesn't mean if you are president that meaning that you really want fame and gain. It's not necessary. It's in the heart, yeah? <laughs> no matter what you do. It's not the outside that counts. It's the inside. You know yourself, whether you are stuck with the fame and glory or not. Yes? But it happens like that. So in the old time, there are also many kings who uh, executed his duty as a royal monarch, but not attached to that position at all, whether he has it or not. If he has it, then he continues to serve his country. If it's taken away from him, he go rest, <laughs> go sleep. Yes, like King Rama, remember? Yes. Or mm, yes. uh, some of other king. In Vietnam, there was one king like that. He refused to be a king. He renounced his throne and went into a temple in a faraway mountain, remote mountain, and tried to practice. Quanning method. What else? <laughs> what else make the, the, the king can even be so, you know, confident and believing that he renounced the whole kingdom just to go in the temple somewhere in the mountain to practice? Huh? Uh. Without Quanning method, we get bored after a while if we don't practice this method. And the Quanning method is the one that satisfies our longing. They make us feel okay. No matter how long we sit, we could sit. Yes. Yeah. Whatever we do, we can do it. Yes, yes, that's right. Okay, so this king in Vietnam, he renounced his kingdom, went to the temple, practiced meditation, wanted to be like a renunciate, you know, like a monk. But, you know, his destiny follows him. The whole court officials, uh, namely led it by the prime minister at that time, he brought the whole officials, everybody, you know, from the royal court, yeah? He brought them all to the temple. And he said, okay, your majesty is here, we are here. <laughs> Wherever your majesty is, <laughs> then the, the royal court is. <laughs> so the king has to continue his duty, yeah? Either stay there or go home is the same. They just say that wherever the king is, the whole royal court will be. That's it. That is the famous saying of that prime minister. That means you can't run away from your duty. That's what he meant. So, of course, you know, what do you do? You just go back and be a king again. You know, whether you are in the temple or a king, or you go back to the royal court and be a king, is the same. <laughs> just the same job. So might as well do it. Yeah, go home and do it. I guess he would go home and do it. I guess I would also go home and do it. What's the use of bothering all the poor monks in the temple <laughs> with all this uh, noise and hmm? ceremonies and stuff, you know, every day they do in the royal court, yeah? 60 meals per, per lunch or something like that. So even if that the Vietnamese king left the temple now and went back to become the king again in the court and continue you know, doing what he did and being what he was. Do you think he was really attached to fame and glory? Huh? No. You think, oh, now he feels sorry, regret, you know, living in a temple is too poor and too ascetic, so he liked to go back home and be a king and have power over the country again? 
No, huh? No. Now, even if he's a king or not, he just have to do it. That's it. There's no attachment, no desire for fame and power in his heart. That is what it is. So it doesn't matter what you do. Yes? It is your heart is important, whether or not you are attached. Hmm. So it doesn't mean that if you're king or if you're president, that means you are hungry after power and fame. Not necessary. Not necessary. So we cannot judge a person by his or her position. Yes? But you have to know that person in the heart. Yeah? Okay. All right. I hope you know your heart and that you are very, very attached to the world. <laughs> yeah, all kind of things that bind you there and you liked it, huh? Hmm. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. See you.